This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. I am so excited in this episode to be on the road, but in the company of a good friend, sommelier Nadine Brown. Nadine was born and raised along the sunny shores of Jamaica and Puerto Rico, where drinks like rum and coffee actually played an important part in the culture. But ironically for our future sommelier, wine was absent. Now, she studied to be a social worker in Boston and worked with children for a number of years. She moved to D.C. and tried to find a job in her field, but had a little bit of a hard time. And on a whim, she answered an ad for a new French bistro up on Capitol Hill, one that I'm very fond of, Bistro B. Now, she started in the business in 1997 just as a host, but what she thought was going to be a temporary job turned out to be a 20-year career, a star-studded career in wine. Now, Nadine's passion for wine began at Bistro B, where she was really exposed to some of the best wines in the world early on. There were some great collectors that took her under her wing, and actually, two of them are very good friends of mine. Now, she is a WSET and Court of Master Sommelier. In 2003, she opened up Charlie Palmer Steak in Washington, D.C., and then from 2005 to 2018, she was the wine director at Charlie Palmer Steak, which, by the way, had an all-American wine list, which we're going to get to a little later in the podcast. Now, Nadine's had a number of awards along the way, including the 2006 Star Chef's Rising Star Sommelier in D.C., She also had the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington Ramey Award Best Wine Program in the Washington area, and she was voted in as a board member to that same association in 2018. Nadine probably has, in my opinion, one of the finest palates I've had the pleasure of tasting with. So Nadine, I welcome you to the Vine Guy podcast. Thank you so much. Such kind words. Well, all true. All true. So before the podcast started, we were talking a little bit about uh, not just your career, but about your kind of circuitous path to this career. Can you just fill us in? How did you really go from being a social worker to one of the top sommeliers in the Washington, D.C. area? Yeah. You know, I think um, the wine business and the hospitality business in general are full of people who are in their second career or um, you know, didn't find passion as a lawyer or accountant or whatever they were doing before. You know, not that um, social work was not, but it really was not my intention. You know, for years, my mom started, you know, I was like, when are you going to get a real job? You know, when I, you know, <laughs> when I was at, at Beast and just fell in love with the industry. You know, I got to meet amazing people. You know, there's a life and vibrancy to restaurants. You know, I was talking about the things that I miss right now, even the noise, the noises, the dishes, and the chaos. It's addictive. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) It is addictive. I know that uh, in my college career and even in grad school, I worked in the restaurant industry And there was just something about it. The people that you met, particularly in the wine world, there is this sort of undefinable attraction that occurs among wine people. And I know that you and I share many of those same friends. I I remember very clearly the first time I met you at Charlie Palmer Steak, 
and was just so blown away, not by just your palate, but by your enthusiasm and genuine love of the wines that were on your list. And I remember getting into a very deep conversation with you about that all-American wine list of Charlie Palmer. And I know that we talk about Francophiles or people that kind of cut their teeth on old world wines, but you really feel that domestic wines need defending. Why is that? I do. Some, sometimes, you know, um, they, they do get lumped into um, a particular style. You know, let's take Napa Valley, for example. And there are a lot of big, I call them showgirl wines, um, you know, from Napa. I mean, you and I have enjoyed some of them, but there's more of a range than some people realize. I know I've been lucky to taste a lot of the smaller producers um, and the families that never really changed their, you know, changed their style. When your Grace Family Vineyards got 88 points, um, for example, and that's when I was like, well, I'm an 88 point person, you know, when it comes when it comes to Napa. A uh, hundred point wine, I, I enjoy tasting it and I can sell the heck out of it. Um, but it's not always, you know, always the wine that that I enjoy. I think it's more expensive to make if you make cars toilet paper whatever you're making is more expensive you know in the states i'm always in awe when i go to um, a tasting and meet eighth ninth tenth generation italian winemaker you know where they're making wines from the 11th century just a long time you know so it's a really really young industry you know 40 50 years is really you know, as old as the industry gets. So it's, it's really in its infancy. Um, still figuring out what works where, you know, around the states and still getting the infrastructure. So you know, a bit of an underdog. And I, I like speaking up for the underdog. Well, I remember very clearly that, and it's not just Napa wines that you have on the list. I mean, you have wines right. from Virginia, wines from Oregon, wines from uh, Washington State, which is the first time I recall tasting a Washington state wine and being put back on my heels, you had, you had recommended a Colcita Creek wine and I had never heard of them before. And you were like, you know, I think you're really going to like it. Let's put a whirl. And it really opened up my, my eyes to Washington state because I had no idea what was going on there. Yeah. Beautiful wines. Yep. And then do you sell Virginia wines or sorry, did you sell? I did. I did. I did. Virginia sell. wines on your list? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jason Tessero from Barbersville, we spoke recently and said I was one of the first Somalis that he remembered, you know, really supporting Virginia wines. Uh, Barbersville was actually the first vineyard I ever visited you know, in 2002. So it holds, you know, a special, a special place in my, in my heart. Um, it also, you know, is a story of, I'm an immigrant, <laughs> you know, Amer- so much of American food and American wine culture comes from people coming from the old world and other places, you know, bringing uh, their know-how, their grapes, you know, to this country. Um, and Luca, uh, the winemaker there is Italian. You know, there are a lot of, you know, South, Amer- South African winemakers, French winemakers in Virginia you know, to, uh, that make, that make amazing, amazing wines. Speaking of amazing wines, you and I had a very brief conversation before the podcast about natural wines. Right. And I'm really torn on this subject, Nadine, and I'm 
really kind of want to go deep if we can, because I've tried a fair amount of natural wines, and a few of them have been pretty good, but a lot of them have been, for me and my taste, kind of disappointing. And now maybe it's because I need to recalibrate my palate or my sense of what a natural wine should be as opposed to comparing it to what I would consider traditional wines, but I'd love to get your take on natural wines. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm a, I'm the queen of Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is also for me a kind of a new venture. It really started when I uh, started getting into to beers, the craft beers and the sour beers and, you know, all the funky beers out there, really the ciders, the Virginia ciders, were one of the first things that I like that you use the word recalibrate, you know, re-educating my palate, um, you know, because a lot of the, the notes on some natural wines I've been taught are false, um, you know, false that I should recognize, you know, recognize in wines, whether it's, you know, pity, citrus pits and, and waxy pineapple. I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the, the descriptors that are not on any, they're not on any wine wheels, um, you know, out there. I talked to a, a pastry chef once when I, uh, you know, when I was running society fair and asking her, I was like, I need to get some gluten-free desserts. And she reminded me, she's like a lot of the classic French desserts are naturally gluten-free, whether it's macaroons and i'm digressing a little bit but you know remember a lot of the the historical french wines were actually um natural you know whether it's the, the loire valley was was a important place in terms of the not modern movement in french natural wines wines from the jura region you know that that have been made in that style for for a long long time you know there's some people that are very dogmatic about it you know absolutely no sulfur there's a new certification for a Basque, uh, Basque cider, for Basque natural cider, that 2017, a very new rule. And, and they do allow a little bit of, of SO2, but I'm part of a, a Facebook page, uh, natural wine, and, you know, there's absolutely none. So there's, you know, there's, there's also a spectrum in, in how, how natural, you know, it can be. I guess we should probably back up just a second and a lot of our listeners may not know what, when we say natural wine, most people think, well, isn't all wine natural? And for the most part, right? You know, there's, yeah. it is, you know, we pick grapes, throw them in a, in a vat and let's uh, do their thing. But natural wine has a slightly different definition or connotation. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it starts in the vineyard, you know, with no spraying, biodynamic farming you know, definitely uh, at the least organic farming, not using any pesticides, you know, harvesting, hand harvesting, using natural yeast for fermentation, just spontaneous fermentation. You know, there, there's some, you know, back to the, the big Napa cabs and the big cabs where they use, they're not manufactured leaves, but you know, yeah. you have commercial, to use commercial, commercial yeast. yeast, you know, that, that, can, that can survive 17, 16%, you know, alcohol wines. You know, no fining, no racking. Um, a lot of times they're bottled and the fermentation um, happens in the bottle. Um, you know, so you get the tartarics, you know, in, in, the, in the bottle. And again, I'm still learning, you know, on the natural wine. I remember Sebastian 
in from DC and a, a friend in a Somali. Uh, another, been, another, yeah, been, another another wine director in DC. Yeah, he has been on you know these funky weird wines for a long time, and I know if they could go, you know, I would I would tease him, but he was really ahead of the curve, and um, you know I'm excited about it, and you know feel like the kids the kids are drinking it and I needed to know you know learn more that's that's one of the great things about wine right just to continue learning and expanding and absolutely and you know you've reminded me I need to get Sebastian on the show because he and I love to disagree <laughs> <laughs> and and have for years so uh, that might yeah. be a fun episode yeah so Nadine as you continue your travels through the wine world I know that you have spent a lot of time in restaurants. What's next for you right now? What, what's on your agenda? You know, I'm really interested in writing. I feel like a lot of people are, and I can't spell to save my life. My grammar is terrible, so I always felt like I needed to just sit down and be quiet. But, you know, I'm, I'm staying up at night. I'm pulling over when I'm driving to write down things on pieces of paper. So I think there's, there's something there. Um, you know, I want to write in a different way in, in the voice that I used on the floor, you know, a, lo a lot of times. Um, and you have to, you know, regulate, you know, how you talk about wines depending on the table, right? If, if, the, if I had a table that didn't know a lot about wines, my approach and my language would be different than if I was talking, you know, talking to you bringing in some humor and, you know, knowledge without beating you over the head. Yeah. So I've been getting more involved in Instagram. You know, I set up a page a long time ago and had babies and <laughs> did all the things that never really paid attention to it, getting more of a presence there. And that's, you know, that's what I'm doing and trying to pivot like a lot of people, you know, when this started, I was like, okay, it's time to do something else. But, you know, after all this time and, and, and energy, and I just cannot walk away from, from the wine world. And you actually are about to embark on a new project in the wine world, which I'm pretty excited about for you. You know, with the grassroots changes that we've all witnessed after the death of George Floyd, and you are now joining a new nonprofit that's launching, I think, in December, at that right, called, and I love this name, Nadine, I love it, the Verasian project. Yes. A 501c tasked with helping people of color to enter the wine industry. And as a woman of color, I think this is an absolutely incredible gift that particularly given who you are in the wine industry can promote and help and educate right. people of color. Tell me about this because I'm, and tell me by the way, how I can help. <laughs> yes. So I am, you know, it's, um, it's a brainchild of Carly she works for, I'm drawing a blank on who she works for at this point, I believe Gallo. Um, Maurice Cherry, um, who's also a local sommelier, is involved. And I've been recently been asked to, to join the board um, and help them, you know, get it, get it off, off the ground. You know, I was really happy with how thoughtful um, they've been about everything. You know, we're still designing a logo we're looking for a black owned bank in order to bank with them, you know, to, you know, to send donations to, um, you know, I joke about, you know, the black lives matter sign in the Gucci store and rather how authentic that is. And I think it's fine. I think it's great that Gucci has a, a black 
Lives Matter sign in there, but what's next? Like, do you have, you know, people employed, you know, who's, who's making your clothes? Do you hire African-American photographers for your shoots? You know, so there's, there's a lot that you can do. You know, networking is very important in this industry. Um, so that's another piece of the Verasion project that I'm excited about where they're going to um, set up a mentorship program um, and also offer funds for people to pursue whatever certifications they would like. You know, the, the master's test, I think, is over $1,000 now. You know, even Janice Robinson's books are $60. It's, it's you know, it, it adds up quickly. Yeah. You know, wine taste, wines for tasting. So just add leading, you know, giving support for people to get into the industry. So both monetary support and, of course, I think, educational and emotional support given who yeah. you're a wonderful sort I'm looking for mentor you're you're a perfect person to do this and I think it's really great I have noticed that there's clearly an absence of people of color particularly in the winemaking uh, end of the spectrum so I would love to learn and maybe in a future podcast we can talk a little bit more about people of color in the winemaking side of this ironically I do know many black men and women who are Somaliers and in, in the service side of it. But I'd like to explore the uh, of, of the industry with you in a future podcast. Yeah, that would be interesting. So at this point, however, I'm interested in what's in your glass. And it's that point in our podcast, Nadine, where yes. I'm going to ask you to talk about the two wines you've chosen today. Excellent. Well, the first wine that I'm drinking here is like springtime and summertime. It is a pet nap, 100% um, Malbec, Chateau Famille from Cahors, the birthplace of Malbec. Um, and it's- Cahors, France, we should tell everyone. Cahors, France, yes. You know, it's slightly, you know, effervescent. The winemaker suggests, you know, when you open it to have two glasses ready, um, cause you're, you know, basically disgorging and it's not sparkling it's frizzante, you know, but, um, the way the secondary fermentation happening in the bottle, there's, there's some, uh, carbonation that happens. So it's fizzy. Ancestral, yes. Method ancestral, tiny, you know, tiny, tiny production, but this is, I picked up an unwind for seventeen ninety nine. you know, it's like strawberries and, um, really refreshing. What's, uh, can I see it? What is it? So uh, while our, our listeners can't see it, it is a pinkish wine. So it's yeah. a gray. Can you see the... Absolutely. All right. The, the bubbles a pet nat. Pet what nat. does pet nat mean? So naturally, naturally sparkling. Oh, okay. It's a younger wine. It looks like... Yeah. You said springtime in a glass. I love it. Yes. yes. Better days. And of course, I see you have... Your second glass behind you. My second glass. Envious up here. I'm looking at the. <laughs> looking my, at this. One of my. To salivate a little. <laughs> one of my favorite producers. You know, Jeff. We got a lot of winemakers coming to Charlie Palmer over the years. Many, many, many. Um, and I met Jeff early, um, maybe 2004. And I don't think his wine was even distributed yet. He's like, I make a little wine in Napa, and we're like, yes, yes, sure, we'll taste it. Um, and was blown away. 
it's a small, you know, Hourglass is a small four acre uh, vineyard. Napa's kind of shaped like an hourglass and this is located right at the pinch, um, you know, the middle of St. Helena. Um, beautiful, beautiful wine. This is a blend, this is 2017, um, is a blend of Cab Merlot. There's some Petite Syrah in there, which Ooh. is such a, you know, quintessential American blend, you know, without the, there's nothing wrong with AOC laws, but you know, you can have unique blends like this uh, domestically because there's not, you know, not the laws that you have to, you know, blend and plant, plant things in a certain place. Uh, it's full body, but it's, it's savory. He uses really, you know, this is 14.5 on, on the label. So um, alcohol, alcohol. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's balanced. You know, I've had 11, 11% Syrahs that were out of balance. <laughs> right. Um, so it's not just about the number that's on the bottle. I've definitely had 16% wines that are out of balance as well. Um, but it's, it's more than that. And I think that the number is just one part of the whole picture of the bottle of wine. Um, so this is the 2017 Hourglass HG3? HG3, yes. So and From Napa. So from tell Napa. me about the wine. Can you, can you describe it for me? Yes. I jump through the screen? And <laughs> you know, that just, it smells like there's, there's nowhere else it could be made but Napa, you know? Um, that pretty vanilla, you know, and it's, it's, it's French oak. It's not American oak, you know, cassis, um, just absolutely gorgeous. Like you. <laughs> you know, and I, I call these, you know, some of the, the hundred point wines or Vegas showgirl wines there. You know, I, I wrote a, a, a little piece talking about all wines start with intention, you know, like. There's some people that set out and are like, I want to make a hundred point wine and they get Michelle Roland and the best, um, you know, winemaker and, and kind of have a formula for a style that, that they want to do. Um, and that's fine. I think that some of them can be, if you put six of them lined up, they're all the same, kind of like Vegas showgirls on the stage. You know, they're all the same height. They look really similar. Um, and then over time, you know, some of them, you know, have their own personalities, but you know, this one to me has some of that, but you know, Vegas showgirl with a, with a PhD or an MBA. You know? wow. So what do you, what do you pick it up on the palate? Plums, you know, that some of that vanilla, it's just a warmth, warmth about the wine, you know, not hot, but um, something really comforting, the sa savory notes of a little bit of, of pine, you know, forest floor the the soils are fragmented bedrock you know so the the vines the vines were planted in the 60s uh 70s so they have um great drain drainage some minerality to to it that's it oh okay <laughs> i thought you were just pausing a, pausing a little bit more thoughts on that but sounds absolutely like a stunning wine any idea what that retails for Say about 60. Okay. So not terrible for a yeah. cab, Napa cab. Maybe a little bit more. All right. Very cool. Well, Nadine, I'm very jealous of the two beautiful wines that you had. We tasted the 2018 Chateau Fomet. Yep. From Malbec. It's a Pet Nat. 
uh, from the Cahors region of France. And of course, the 2017 Hourglass HG3 uh, red wine blend from Napa Valley. Very cool. Thanks for sharing those wines with us today. Excellent. You're welcome. Thank you very much for being on the Vine Guy podcast. I really love seeing you. I wish I was there in person with you. Maybe one day soon we can get together. We will. Share a bottle of domestic natural wine. <laughs> There's some great domestic natural wine. We'll, we'll have to find it and drink it. Excellent. That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode, and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to catch me on WTOP and WTOP.com every Friday for Wine of the Week, and follow me on Twitter. And until the next time, remember, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.